You know, as we turn to God's labor about the integration of faith uh, with our everyday work, we, we thought, you know, it's probably good to get somebody to preach with, with a real job, you know, with, uh, who's not, who's not a, a personal Christian, um, who actually knows what it's like to struggle to figure out how to integrate your faith with your daily work. Um, and so we asked Justin Early to preach in China for five years, um, and then he decided to go to law school, and now he's a corporate lawyer at um, a local law firm, McGuire Woods. Um, and Justin has thought a lot about this, doesn't have a perfect solution, but um, is, is, has thought deeply about this and I think has a word for us today from the Lord. So let me pray for him, um, and then Brooke and I will read our scripture for today. Father, we thank you uh, for the word of God that always brings light into the darkness. And we know that all of us struggle with darkness when it comes to figuring out what our work has to do with our faith. And so we pray that you would give us um, insight today from your word and you would bless your servant Justin as he preaches today. Fill him and all of us with the Holy Spirit so that we might not just hear your word, but respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll find the scripture readings um, taken from several parts of the Bible on page 12 of your bulletin. Hear God's word. It is absolutely true. It is given to you in love. First from Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And he called each living creature, that was its name. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. From Colossians 1. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And from Revelation 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Sisters and brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So indeed, six years ago, I was a missionary in China, and today I am a mergers acquisitions lawyer here in Richmond. And I want to tell you a story about how that happened. So it's 2011, and for the past four years, I've been living as a missionary in Shanghai, China. Charming little town of 25 million people. I am walking through the densest urban center of it, the pedestrian road called Nanjing Road. And I see an old lady walk out into the middle of the street. And she begins to unfurl a banner. And I get up close to read it, and I do read Chinese, but very slowly. So it takes me about 60 seconds just to get the first line. And in that 60 seconds, crowds of 100 or 200 have already gathered around her, and the police sirens are already going off, because this is what it says. The justice system in China is broken. People in the countryside are being oppressed. And that's as far as I got. 
because already a cop is right up front next to her and I, and he looks at her and he says, you know you are not allowed to do this here. And she turns back to him and she says, but you know this is true. And he looks back at her and he says, well, you know what's going to happen now. And in the middle of this incredible exchange, yours truly interrupts. In some ways, our, our, our job description in China was very simple. It was share the gospel with college students, and whatever you do, do not get involved in political protesting. There was one rule. That was, so here I am. And what I say to him is I, I say, there is a thief right over there, sir, if you would like to inter- arrest him. And actually there was. I had just passed a black market thief who had, had a stolen laptop in his jacket and was selling it for $10. I'm like, that's not a thing. They're not $10. And, and the cop looks at me puts his hand up and waves it like that, which is a technical Chinese gesture for shut up. <laughs> and then the lady is put in a van and she's gone. It's not 10 steps later that a guy stops me and asks if I want to buy some marijuana. And as I shake my hand in his face and start walking the other way, I start to feel a heaviness bearing down on me because I'm thinking about the five or six open brothels that I will pass on the way back to my apartment. And, and it hits me that of the four things I have just seen, the stealing and the dealing, the prostituting and the protesting, all four of these are illegal here, but three of them will make you money. And the one thing that is brave is the one thing that will get you arrested. And that moment changed the course of my life. Because in that moment, I saw the consequences of a world disordered by work. You see, it hit me in that moment that systems of work created all this. From the smallest acts of bookkeeping in the brothels to the biggest systems of political and economics that shaped this moment, this was a world shaped by work. And I was interested in that because I was a missionary in China and I had come here to shape the world. I had come here because I wanted to see people become lovers of God and neighbors. And what I found was a world being shaped by work. And in that moment, I found my call. I wanted to be a missionary to that. And not a, within a week, I'm applying to law and business school. And a year later, I'm on the way home. Um, and I'm debriefing one of the churches that I'm going to. I'm about to start at Georgetown Law School. And a lady comes up to me afterwards, and she says to me this, Justin, I am not sure that we need more lawyers, but I know we need more missionaries. I had no idea what to say to her. So here I am, six years later, mergers and acquisitions attorney, father of three boys. I write in my spare time. I'm a member of your congregation. And I confess, I have lived all of those six years in the shadow of that silence, trying to figure out how is it that you articulate this mission to work. And my greatest hope this morning is that I would be able to articulate that to you. Here is what I would say. Christian, why does your work matter? Because God, through you, is ordering the world in love. So to the extent that we work with him, And for our neighbors, we will participate in this incredible project. But to the extent that we work for ourselves and apart from God, you will wreak havoc in your own life and you will bring chaos into this world. That's what I want to talk about this morning. 
And I want to come at it from three, three angles. I want to try to talk to your head so that you understand this biblical story of work. I want to try to talk to your heart so you feel and love it. Then I want to try to talk to your hands so you have something that you can do about it. Let's start with the biblical story of work. we got to understand the biblical story of work because it's the basis for all of our work. All right? And the first thing you got to understand is from Genesis, and that is that work is capital G good. All right? When the opening act of the Bible begins, and thus the opening act of all of human history, the curtains come back, the spotlight comes on, and who was on stage but the Trinity going wild, creating this material world. It's this beautiful and bizarre act God is caught up in his creation. And what does he keep saying? Good, good, it's good. Now the Hebrew word here for good is tav. And I'm going to use it throughout this talk because, not because I know Hebrew. This is the one word I know. I just want it to stand out to you. Because if, if this is abstract or foreign to us, we will not understand that God is like one part Jackson Pollock, just an artist slinging paint at walls and seeing what sticks. And he has one part white lab coat scientist carefully dissecting and discovering things. He is, at every point, he is saying, wow, tav, tav, tav. And we got to get that he loves this because all of our work is born out of this creative act. Artists and farmers, you, like God, create and shape the world. It's tav. Accountants and lawyers, we separate order out of chaos. It's tav. Investors or venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, you you all create things and you make things fruitful and you multiply them. It is tav. So the first thing that we got to understand from Genesis is that all this work is good. The second thing we got to understand is that it is actually for someone else. And we're going to come back to this, so just placeholder for now. But just notice that God is creating the world for his people. It is a generous act. The third thing I want you to understand, and this is my favorite one, in verse 19 and 20, after God has worked out the rough scaffolding of creation, he brings it to his people, and he says, finish it. They are invited into this project, and God brings the animals to Adam, and he's there with him. It's like, what's he going to name them? And whatever Adam calls them, that was its name. All right, this call to work is not just a grand call to order the world in love. It is. But it is also an intimate whisper from the God who created you. Come work with me. One of my most vivid memories from childhood was watching my dad and uncle laying on the floor of a garage under a motorcycle. And they're working on it. And me as a kid, I'm just watching them thinking, oh, just let me have one of those tools. I I really want to help here. And when my dad looked up at some point and says, hey, Justin, could you give me a hand? I need that wrench. Ran over and got it. And I had never felt such dignity in moving a piece of metal 12 inches to his hand. I think that says something about us that Genesis is trying to tell us. We were made for this. We were made to be invited to work with the God who loves us. That is not a means. That is an end. So the, the, the biblical story of work begins in this goodness of work with God for others. But you and I know it doesn't end there. Because you and I work every day, and what does it feel like? Mostly chaos and fallenness. It feels like everything's falling apart all the time. And I think you know that. So what I want to remind you is that while that is true, 
The primary fact of work is not that things are falling apart. The primary fact of work is that in Jesus Christ, all things, and thus our work as well, are being redeemed. They are coming together. You just look at the life of Jesus. When he comes, the fall begins to come undone everywhere. When Jesus works, dying little girls who the medical profession has given over to the curse of death get up and have breakfast with their families. When Jesus works, lame beggars go back to work. Jesus, what is happening here? Everywhere he goes is undoing the fall. And so like we read in Colossians, in Jesus Christ and only because of his death and resurrection, all things are coming together and being redeemed in him so that in this new city that comes down one day, this new Eden, this new Jerusalem, we will have what we have longed for and what we are made for, a place to work in the presence of God again. Brothers and sisters, that is the biblical story of work, and it is good news for us. Let me tell you why. The world we live in is desperate to know the meaning of work. Like you and I are about to break every day trying to figure out why do we do what we do and what does it mean? I would just share with you my bipolar stance towards work still now every day. I spend the first half of my day just spinning the endless treadmill, trying to justify my existence by gaining the approval of people at my office. And then that same evening, collapse, exhausted, staring at the ceiling, wonder, does any of this matter? Like, does anyone care about all any of this? If you are like this first half of me, you are spending away your days searching to justify your existence on this planet through your performance of work, you and I need to be rebuked by this biblical story of work. It is not for us. Your work is not for you. And that's why it's killing you. Like, that's why you're hiding what you're hiding. That's why you're drinking the way you're drinking. That's why you're mad all the time. That's why your life is falling apart. Because you and I were not made to work for ourselves. We were made to work for our neighbors. And we will not have any peace until we repent and start to look outward. But to those of you, if you are like the second half of me, and you spend your days battling this real fear that nothing that you do matters, I'm specifically thinking of clerical workers, stay-at-home parents, people like me who feel like their job is just to beat back the chaos for one more day, only the next morning to see it all come crashing back, in dirty diapers, and return emails, and circular formulas and spreadsheets. Look, I want the biblical story of work to comfort you. You are not alone. Jesus has invited you to work with him, and because of that, there is a weight heavier than the oceans in your tedium. Like, because of Jesus, all the faithful acts of toil that you do will come together and in the kingdom you will find what you spend your days longing for. Meaning and order. It is there for you. And that is good news for us. All right? This is a hope that we can work for. If you're saying that sounds nice, but I don't feel like that almost ever at work, I, I'm with you. And that's why I want to talk to your heart for a minute because it's not enough just for us to understand the biblical story of work. We need a vision of love that goes out beyond ourselves. Seven months ago, my third son had just been born, and after a time of paternity leave, I was coming back to work, and I got a call, and the voice on the other end of the line is going 90 miles an hour. 
Big transaction, out of town. The partner's out of town. We need your help. You need to get here, solve this problem. I'm like, oh no. There goes my calm, like, week back at work trying to deal with a newborn. And the next morning at 9 a.m., I'm standing in front of the top lawyer at this company, and I can see the stress contorting their face. Because this company is in the middle of a, a major transaction uh, where the investors who put their money at risk to start this company are trying to get bought out at hopefully a handsome return, or at least partially. And my job as a corporate lawyer, best understood, is to close the deal, make it work. So we get to work. Um, and I'm staying late over in hotels, and slowly this company's chaos starts to get ordered. It's tough. Slowly we start to name their areas of risk. It's tough. Right, slowly the investors come just a little bit closer to being fruitful and multiplying their dollars. It's tough. It, but other things are happening too. In the same conference room where we sit and discuss the transaction, we order takeout. And people start talking about the problems of race relations in America. And someone asks me what I think. And I get a chance to talk about my faith because I cannot talk about race relations without talking about what I believe. And later I get a chance to short-circuit gossip or help the client communicate. I, I share the spectrum of things because insofar as I can tell, all of what I do most of the day, every day, are various ways of trying to order the world in love for my neighbor. That's it. You will notice, though, there's kind of two categories, and it's just your work, I'm sure, is just like mine in this. There's the relational aspects, and I think you probably know about those. But then there are the institutional aspects. I want to, I want to talk about those for a minute. By that, I mean, what kind of world are we making through our work? Look, the reason that I can get through the day editing a 100-page merger agreement that makes me feel dumb under a falsely imposed deadline that makes me feel mad <laughs> is, is because I actually really, really do believe in the vision of love for neighbor through functioning institutions. Okay? This, what, if I do my job well, I help a system that supports stable environments for investments so that people can start companies, so that people can employ, in this case, hundreds of people, then, then uh, hundreds of families are fed, and in this case, clean energy is put into the grid that turns my and my neighbor's light, lights on. I hear in that the echoes of Genesis. And that is, might be simplified for the purposes of this talk, fair enough. But it is not naive. What I think is naive is to not think about how your work is shaping the world and only just think about yourself. The uh, sociologist James Hunter writes that the key actor in history is not individual genius, but rather the network and the new institutions that are created out of those networks. I take that to mean that I and you are far less important than the systems that we collectively create. And, hear me on this, to the extent that we as Christians ignore those systems that we are creating, well, our neighbors will suffer for our apathy. The consequences, this is what I learned on that road in China, the consequences of broken institutions are the dehumanization of our neighbors. Flint, Michigan exists because of institutional failure. Where are the stewards of the Human Health and Services Department? I think about what my coworkers asked me in that conference room. Race relations exist the way they do now because of a myriad 
of institutional failures, not the least of which is the failure of our founders in drafting our Constitution. But one that comes to mind today, every day, is the institutional failure of our media to be able to do anything to steward us to a helpful conversation. Rather, they just stoke their base all the time. Where are the Christians who would disrupt the media industry by doing it better? Our neighbors need us. These parts of creation are falling apart. We need believers who say, I am on a mission with God for my neighbor to come undo the fall in these places. Third church, if that is why we went to work, this city, this country, this world would be different. And that would be tough. Let me stand back for a minute as I finish by talking to your hands about the practicals because I get it. That vision of work is very far removed often from our daily experience of what it is to work. Like, I'm, I'm with you in that, okay? Most days I do not feel like I, through my work, am ordering the world in love. Most days I feel like the world, through my work, is disordering me in chaos. And I, I, I am not up here talking to you as somebody who is good at this. I am up here talking to you as somebody who struggles deeply with this daily. Three years ago, just to be honest with you, I had a collapse in anxiety. And it was right in the middle of this journey and call of work. And I went through a phase where I could not sleep without medication or alcohol. This was a really, really dark time for me. And, and I learned a few things. The first one being, it is really possible to love the call and live in practice to ignore the caller. And I see it for all of us. It is really, really possible to have your habits of work form your heart instead of having the habits of your heart form your work. Second thing that I realized, unfortunately, is that I was really normal, especially for my profession. People are collapsing all over the place because our modern habits of overwork are dangerous. And frankly, if you can believe whatever you want about why you do what you do, but if you do not resist tooth and nail, the habits of overwork, they will convert you to their disorder, their depression, and their chaos, period. So it was in this time that some friends and family who loved me really helped me sketch out a new way of living and work. They helped me come up with some daily and weekly rhythms for staying alive, keeping the mission alive, and keeping my health and soul alive in work. And these practices, it were small things, and I still do them. There are things like actually Sabbathing once a week to resist the culture of overwork and embrace rest. There are things like refusing to check my work email in the morning until I read a psalm, not because I have to, but because I do not want to start my day in the reminder of all that I need to do. I want to start my day in the reminder that God loves me. There are things like turning off my phone for an hour every day just to be quiet and present. And these things have radically changed the way that I experience the presence of God in work. That's why three years later, I'm still doing them. And in fact, I'm kind of going crazy writing about them and talking to other people and trying to get you all to do it with me. And I've, I've actually started to write about it on a website called thecommonrule.org. And I would invite you into it because if you are like me, you feel like you know God here in this room, but you feel like you, you don't know what it would be like at all to know him at your office. Or if you feel like your work is far more characterized by anxiety and busyness than it is peace and love, I would just invite you, come, come join me in this reformation of habits. 
Like, our practices matter every day. Or if you are out there and you are saying, I like this idea of work, but I do not know this one that you are talking about who is the caller. I would just, I would submit to you this. There is a reason you feel so deeply that you want to love and serve the world. There is a reason you so badly want to exhaust yourself working to change the world because you were made to. And I would just invite you, come meet the one you were made to work with. We're about to go to communion here in a minute, and it's a way that we collectively, regularly say, if we do not commune with God, none of this matters. If we do not commune with him, if we are not with him, not our head, not our heart, not our hands, not our work, nothing makes sense. It all falls apart. Because only in Jesus Christ does this whole universe hang together, and only in him is our work coming together. And we invite you to say that because... At best, we are all sitting here just trying to echo the call of our creator, come work with me. This is a grand and stately call, brothers and sisters, to order the world in love. But it all rests on the intimate whisper. God is under the motorcycle calling to you, come work with me. I just want to finish by drawing your mind back to this lady in the street one last time. Can you see her there? She's standing, holding up her words to the institutions of injustice. You know, I have no idea what happened to her. I bet she felt like she was a failure all the way from the countryside just to have 60 seconds before she was dragged from the streets and arrested. But I know that she has no idea that her small act of bravery completely changed my life. And I think about are fragments of work like that. We will not see almost any of the fruit of almost all of our labor, and yet, Jesus Christ was dragged from the streets and arrested so that your work and my work would actually bear meaning. Christians, that is why we can go to work bravely as a protest to the chaos of the fall, trying to bring some love some goodness, some beauty for our neighbors. And remarkably, in these fragmented efforts, the Lord Jesus Christ changes lives. As you pray with me. God, thank you for your generous call to work with you. And thank you so much more that you love us and that we get to be with you while we do it. May we do it faithfully. May we do it for our neighbors. May you use us to bring your love. Amen.